welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. I'm your host, Lupna, and I am joined today by my lovely co-host, the one and only... Gail Edwards, the personal brand disruptor in the house. The Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi adoring entrepreneurs showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and the grinding and today we've got a very special guest and I know I say that every time but it's true I consider each and every one of our guests as special but she has a very interesting name that I'm going to reveal in a couple of minutes. I am talking about Marsha Glight, and I hope I pronounced that last name correctly. And I should have asked before we hit the recording. (laughs) Marsha is also called the Happiness Whisperer. I know. (laughs) Wouldn't you want to know all about the happiness whisperer. Marsha works with successful business women to find the balance they are looking for in their home and business lives. After 30 years of working in corporate America, she's found her calling to put herself first and help other women do the same because happiness starts with you and your self-care. Marsha, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. you. You're gonna have to tell me more about the happiness whisperer. Well, I love to have fun and I love to laugh and I love to be around people with good humor and that are just laughter's catchy, you're right? It's contagious. And that's the environment I want to be around. And I feel that within each of us there is happiness and We could be in a state of happiness, but we could be always be happier. And that's what I try to do with my clients is really help them find that balance, right? And you talk about it, right? We we don't have to work harder to be successful. We don't. We need to work smarter and we need to be smart. And women are very smart. And when they believe in themselves and they believe in their self-worth and they believe in their powers from within, we are, we're unstoppable. And that's what I like to bring out in my clients. Mm. And what about the whisperer part? I just have a way to do it. (laughs) It's just very subtle. It's asking questions that make people really think. Mm. And, you know, coaching is really bringing out what you already have inside of you. Mm. And it's asking the right question, right? Um, Gail, you can't brand somebody if somebody isn't telling you everything about them. So you have to ask them questions that they're just not seeing on the surface, right? And that's what I do too. It's I hear what people are saying that they're not hearing themselves say. So when you say it back to them, it's like, oh my God, did I really say that? Mm. Mm. And when they hear it from someone else and you say put yourself in the shoes of a friend if your friend told you this what would you say to them and all of a sudden they're seeing what their own thinking from a different perspective it's the aha moment right Mm -hmm. you all talk about the aha moment it's like oh my god and i like to talk about 
the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> we do the same thing over and over and over and we expect a different result. Yeah. And when I talk to people and I start hearing that, I'm like, okay, so you did this last time, right? And you did this the time before, you did the time before. When do you think you're going to get a different result? So we need to change what you're doing. And sometimes it's a little subtle change. Mm. And someone's saying, I'm not willing to make that change. Well, then you need to look for a different outcome. Exactly. Yeah, so. I love that, um, Marsha. And you're quite right. You know, we do need to ask some really deep, powerful questions of our clients sometimes. And I'm also a big believer in that we teach what we most need to learn. So... For example, for me, especially if anyone's read The Law of Brand Attraction, our book that Lubna and I collaborated on, and my chapter is all about finding your voice in business because for a long time, not just in business, from when I was very small, I didn't actually have a voice. And how that has led me to doing what I do now is quite an instrument of my story. So I'm really intrigued to find out from you, Marsha, what was it that led you to even start thinking about happiness in this way and to start thinking that you could help other people for this, for what you're doing? Because clearly there is. What was your trigger? So I totally agree with you. A lot of times it's our own experience that help us learn our message. And mine came in two phases. First, I talk about I worked in corporate America for both big companies and small companies. And the first thing I learned was the glass ceiling. Mm. And and that it was harder, in my mind, for me, than it was for the other vice presidents around me. I had a national job, and then I had to travel. And thank God it was easier to travel back then than it is well, we can't even travel now. Um, still traveling. Remember that, ladies? <laughs> there used to be a concept called travel. Yeah. yeah traveling now is right to go to an outdoor restaurant and maybe have some sushi, right? Yeah. Or we get to travel to, to bring it because the fish has probably traveled more than we have. <laughs> back on, back, yeah, see, that happens to me. I get off. Anyway. So corporate America, for me to continue to go up the corporate ladder, it meant I had to travel more and travel more and travel more. And what that meant was I had to not be home more. And I wasn't ready to make that. I didn't know how. I struggled with how do you make that work, mm-hmm. right? I speak, and one of the things I speak about is we had a commercial in America for Anjali perfume, right? I could bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never, ever forget my man, right? Because I'm a woman. We could do it all, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was for perfume. It wasn't for women's liberation. Anyway, (laughs) I believe that we could do it all. And really, the only thing it did was stress me out. I was anxious all the time. I was anxiety. I was in therapy. I was headed for depression. I was so overwhelmed. I was so burnt out. I mean, all these things. And I just kept getting up every morning like a robot doing it over and over. So I would travel on the 6.30 flight in the morning and the seven o'clock flight home at night to have lunch in Texas, right? Which is about three hours away from here by plane to see my client to come home to put my kids to bed. And you can't sustain that for very long, right? It's all obtainable, but can we maintain it all? 
And I finally got to the point where I said, I'm not happy going to this job every day. And I quit my job, started my business, and I thought that was going to be happiness. And what I learned along the way is that I identified myself more with my job than I did with me. Mm. And I found myself in the hospital with an infection in my blood, a bone infection in my toe, which ended up having three toes amputated because I wasn't taking care of my health. Yeah, I wasn't taking care of my health and I wasn't taking care of me. And it was that lifestyle of always looking for happiness. So I'm an A-type personality and I'm sitting in the hospital room and I'm like, happiness, 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 what the hell? How do I find happiness? Like Google's going to tell me how to find happiness, right? But (laughs) Google has all the answers, I was told. And it kept coming up self-care and all these putting yourself first and eating a healthy diet and taking care of your emotional health and your physical health and your spiritual health and moving and meditating and gratitude. And I was like, aha, dang, I was doing everything for everybody. I was the fix-it person. I was the go-to person. I was the pick up the pieces. I was the one who had strength when everything was falling apart around me. I was the one that was the brick, right? Mm. But you know what? That's a lot of work. Oh, my gosh. That's exhausting. And how long can you do that for? And it really goes back to, I think, an upbringing, you know, when we were brought up, for me at least, in the 80s, right? Mm. 70s, that women could do it all. Mm. Yeah. We could do it all. The sign of strength of a woman was being able to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I hear you on that, Marsha, because I suspect we grew up in the same kind of era because you could do it all. And if you couldn't do it all, then there was something wrong with you. Mm. Right. And we have carried that on our shoulders right into this millennium. And mm-hmm. it's now, I mean, I'm quite open about my age. I'm in my mid fifties now and I'm only now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yay. I'm only now learning the real importance of self-care. I even have a module about it in one of my courses about Mm -hmm. self-care mastery because it is so important. If you want to be really successful, you've got to learn how to put yourself first. You've got to learn how to take care of yourself. Yeah, it is so true. And one of the, I think that there are two things that I want to highlight in what you shared about your story. And that's the first thing that you shared is you identified with your work. Instead of you being you with everything that you are and who you are, you identify. And I see it so many times when I was still in a corporate job. I was even like, why do you say I am? And then they would get their job title afterwards. And I'm like, you're not an accountant. You're not a lawyer. You're not a consultant. You're not a coach. That's what you do. But it's not who you are. And as someone who's very interested in the personality, the human being behind that title, I find that mind boggling. And it's so detrimental to your state when you keep adhering to I am and then a job title appears, whether that is an entrepreneur or career professional really doesn't matter. So I really want to highlight that point because I still see a lot of people identifying with their work. The second part is one of the things that I've learned from studying the science of happiness, because for some of you who may or may not know, I am a certified happiness at work coach, is that a lot of people have the attitude of, 
I will be happy when. And whatever you feel that you complete that sentence with, it puts you in a state of in the future, I'll be happy when. And for most, if you talk to, and there have been research done with millionaires and billionaires and they've asked you've got all of the money in the world it's one of the things that you said i'll be happy when i've got millions or i am a billionaire are you happy the majority say no because they feel that gratification of having achieved it but everyone will tell you they reach their first million the only thing that happened is oh i want to go to five million now or i want to go to 10 million now they still kept in that cycle of going for the next thing Mm -hmm. instead of having that state of being is what makes you happy now instead of the feeling of happiness which is fleeting so those are the two things that i really want to highlight in your personal story because they're so important that people are made aware of them so thank you for sharing that Oh my, I love sharing my story because everybody hears a different thing. And I love that, you know, cause I tell it all the time and I know the things that really made the shift for me. Right. And you hit two of the big ones, right? It's the identification with our job and I am, and I want to take that even a step further because when I became an entrepreneur, the first, or I started my business, everybody's used to say, I always I think I was always an entrepreneur. That spirit is always in you, right? I don't think you wake up one morning and you're like, ooh, I want to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) I agree. Because most people have to look up what that means before they even can do it. But the hardest thing I had, and when I finally came to the happiness whisperer, it really helped me, is that elevator pitch, right? It just Mm -hmm. never felt right. Never Because I serve this person. No, I don't serve. I'm not... I'm not a waiter or a waitress, right? Or I work with, you know, it's like, what am I, right? Am I a life coach? No. Am I a business coach? No. I, I mean, I'm the happiness whisperer. That's it. I want people to just be happy in their life. And where you are today, you can find something today to be happy about, right? Maybe not everything, right? You know, everyone says, oh, I'm, I'm tired of being at home. And I'm like, you know what? I'm loving being at home. Okay? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we spend a Saturday and we just barbecue as a family or we swim as a family or we do, I have not had this much one-on-one, clearly present quality time with my family since all this. Nobody has anywhere to go. So you might as well sit with mom and let me ask my questions that I have. <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. Let me delve into your life. There's things I've been dying to ask you. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, so, yeah, there's things that you miss. And things, there are things like connecting and things like hugs and all the things that we, we do need. It is part of, it's innate in us. But we have to shift a little bit. And since I started doing podcasts. I'm meeting some of those incredible people that I've ever met, right? I mean, look at, you're in the UK and you're in the Netherlands and I'm here in the United States. That doesn't usually happen. It doesn't. Right? And all we're bonding on is sushi? (laughs) Exactly. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? (laughs) And it could easily be sourdough bread or banana bread or whatever it is else that everyone's out or, Marsha, 
it could be Barry Manilow because I've noticed you've got Ooh. a Barry Manilow poster. Oh. And my favourite concert ever, people will be surprised to know, was actually going to see Barry Manilow back in 1998, I believe it was, in the UK. My favourite concert ever, Barry Manilow. <laughs> I really thought you would say cakes. <laughs> well, I Very have minute. to say that that's awesome, and I'm going to shout out to my husband here. He's, he's a big Manilow fan, and I and he takes me along for the ride. But I do enjoy Barry Manilow, so yeah, that's good catch back there. And the Honeymooners, the Honeymooners is back there too. The this is our office. It's where all the art that can't go anywhere else in the house goes up. <laughs> So, yeah. oh, but Marsha, seeing as we're on the subject of sushi, kind of slightly, we cannot even begin to, you know, go any further in <laughs> Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast without asking the vital question: Which one's your favorite? <laughs> what is your favorite sushi? So. I used to work with my last position with just a bunch of sushi lovers and we would go out all the time. And then one friend who used to say there was one of her favorite that she used to have as her sushi dessert. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And it was just a plain yellowtail with mango and a sweet Ooh. sauce on it. And she's like, oh my God, it's like just that little bit of sweet that you need at the end of a meal. So we always had to eat our sushi and don't forget to save room because the mango sushi's coming. Look now, I'm a bit of a sushi aficionado. I don't think I've ever had mango sushi. Have you? Oh, of course. Salmon and mango. <laughs> I don't know. I've not had mango. Yeah, yeah, salmon. We have a roll that is sold in just about every sushi restaurant here in the Netherlands where they have a rice roll with salmon on top and mango sauce over it or an actual slice of mango both of them absolutely delicious it's one of the sushis i order if i go all you can eat every round oh i'm going to well i'm going to look out for it because i can't recall it and i'm thinking if it was there i would know because i would definitely have eaten it because i love mangoes so yeah i'm going to be a little bit more vigilant for that one and oh that sounds it's gorgeous so you were saying that you worked with people who were real sushi lovers. Were you into sushi before that or was it them that introduced you, Marsha? You know, that's a very good question. They introduced me to it more. My bosses were fishermen and they loved to fish and they would go down to Mexico. Each of them have a place down in Mexico. They used to fish for yellowtail. That's where it kind of started, and they're just like, oh, and you got to try it. And I'm like, okay. You know, that whole idea of raw fish, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not oh, quite sure. But I'll tell you, you know, you start out slow, and then you just oh, want yeah. it. Then you just want it all, right? We think that a California roll is like sushi, and you're like, oh, you're like, that's for babies, right? <laughs> that's the beginner that's, sushi. That's, that's the beginner. That's starter level sushi. It's still my favorite, but it is starter level sushi. <laughs> that is. Exactly. Yeah, right? And I'm like, I can eat that. And then, then you go back into just things like, then I got into all different kinds of rice paper and then the crispy rice. But I will tell you a funny story about the first time I ever had sushi friend of mine says, hey, you want to go for sushi? And I'm like, whatever, I'd never had it before. 
And we sit down at the, I'm like, sure, I'm up for anything. We sit down at the sushi bar. And before she says, be careful of the green stuff. (gasps) You know what happened, right? So you had a spoonful of the green stuff. (laughs) It didn't even take a spoonful. But yeah, you put a little bit on like you're going to put in, right? Oh, my God. From my toes to my head, I thought I was going to explode. And you're sitting there, right? And you're like, okay, this is a colleague, not quite a really good friend yet. So do you tell him, like, I'm going to explode? Or do you just, like, take it like a man, right? (laughs) Talk about being in corporate America, right? Take it like a man and just, like, you're sweating from every pore, right? You can't hide the fact that you just – and she looks at me and she says – I told you too late. And I'm like, yeah, wonderful <laughs> too late. Well, it's funny you say that. Because and you I, know what? You never do that again. <laughs> oh, never. You never do it again. But one of the funniest things about wasabi for me is that it's really prepared me for middle age. It's prepared me for <laughs> menopause. <laughs> when people say to me, so what's it like? I say, have a dose of wasabi, you'll soon find out. That <laughs> is it. That's it. So I'm going to set, set up calling them hot flash, because now I'm going to call them wasabi moments. There you go, they're wasabi moments. <laughs> oh, I really love that. Oh, I really love that. And to dive a little bit deeper into the sushi, if you, Marsha, were a sushi what would the ingredients be? So how do you translate your personality into a sushi? I would be a rainbow roll. Ooh. And why? Hey, I thought I only had to come up with the answer. What's with the why? (laughs) (laughs) What ingredients would you use? No, seriously. There's so many different sides of me. And that kind of reminds me of the rainbow, all the different colors of the rainbow, all the different sushis that you get sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get when you bite in right especially when you work with me you never know where I'm going to take you and I don't know half the time where I'm going to take you it's that you know as what the man said right that all of a sudden you come up with some idea right and it's like I'm going to throw it out there let's see if it sticks I used to believe that it was like a Velcro wall, right? We just keep throwing things against the Velcro wall. And something's going to stick. Something's going to work. I'm going to throw ideas at you. And one of them is going to be something that you're willing to try. And they're not going to be all the same. It's going to be definitely coming from different fish, different spaces. Because it's not one size fits all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. Rainbow rolls. Yeah, I can see that. I can get with that. Great stuff. So what about your business though? So that's how you are. This is a bit of a difficult question because as a coach, we put so much of ourselves into our business anyway. But with your business having, does it have a separate identity? Would it be a slightly different sushi or would it be the same if it was just purely your business? You know, I think it'd be the same. Exactly. Yeah, my business is me and my brand is me, right? Because... I'm selling the relationship you're going to have with me, the, the trust that you're going to have in me. You have to like me. You know, the first thing people say, well, how do you know whether or not you're going to take a client? And I'm like, if they don't get my sarcasm, they're out. Okay. Cause I'm a very sarcastic person and that's part of how I coach. Yeah. And I, I definitely get that about you, Marsha. <laughs> I think yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, you know, so 
No, I'm sorry. I think that it froze a little bit and I just missed that little part. I think it's so important because one of the things that I say a lot is if you're going to work with me, I'm fairly direct. I do not take anything at face value and I would challenge you on your thinking in any way, shape or form. And if you're not into that, then you're not going to like me. Yes, exactly. And that's it. And that's why I look at, you know, go back to my business is me and that's who I am. You're going to get me. And my clients say, you know, you're like a friend. And it's like, I am like a friend. I'm going to take you in with all my love and heart and soul. But does it mean I'm going to stop being direct? And I love that word direct. Mm. You know, you're not paying me to sugarcoat what's going on. You're paying me for quick results. And we want to get to the bottom of whatever it is quickly and with a strategy that's going to work that you can implement. Because I can give you all the strategies in the world, right? If you're not going to try it or you're not comfortable trying it, then I could talk to them blue in the face because it's not going to make a change. But if I say, can you do this five times this week? And you're like, no, I can only do it two. Then what's the point of putting five out there as the target if you know you can only do two? Mm. So let's try to do two. If you do three, that's awesome. But let's just try to do two because two is awesome too. Yeah. Have you ever had a client that seems to be a perfect fit but turned out someone who was not in alignment with who you are and your work? Huh, good question. You know what? Not really, because, you know, like I said, sarcasm is huge with me, and you can hear it, right? I'm not sarcastic at all. And um, it happens happens in the first 15, 20 minutes of a call. And I could tell, you know, and you could tell a lot about a person, you know, when you have that frank conversation with them. And when you stop thinking that every client is, because they can pay, they're an ideal client. Mm. Right, so you think about a job interview, it's really, you're interviewing that company and the people that you're gonna be working for as much as they're interviewing you. And when you go into an interview or you go into a client relationship out of desperation, it shows. Mm -hmm. We don't wanna be desperate. I want to have fun with what I do. I want to enjoy who I'm working with. And if I don't feel like we're making progress, I'm going to say we're not making progress. You need to go somewhere else. Somewhere else. Absolutely. I, 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 I might be telling them to go somewhere else because they need therapy. They don't need, <laughs> you need some serious therapy. <laughs> therapy comes up, you know. Sometimes you've got to say no because some people are so attached they're so attached to this idea of who they think they need to be or they should be that they just can't let it go. And then when they do get a glimpse of who they really are, it frightens them because they don't know how to step into that being. So I totally agree with you. And you say, yeah, sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm not for you because I'm very, very, <laughs> very, I'm just to the point, you know, and especially because I do a lot of copywriting as well. So when I'm copywriting for someone, I need to spend a couple of t- um, sessions with them, really getting to know them so that I can use their tone. Yes. And their, yeah. their voice, yeah. 
Absolutely. But I want their authentic tone and voice. I don't want that stuff that they're putting out there that sounds like everybody else, because then you're just competing on price. So I was saying you should never compete on price. People want to know who you are so that they can connect with you. So, you know, doing that, just trying to extract that from them. So do you ever find that though, Marsha, that sometimes when you're working with people, like you say, you can only lead them so far, but you show them the real potential of what they can have. You show them just how shy away. Well, here's the interesting thing about that is that it's not my job, or at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. my job to show them what it would look like. It's my job to say, look in the crystal ball and tell mm-hmm. me what you think. What does it look like? What would it be for you? Right? Because then what they're doing is they know where they're at. They know that person in their life that has what they want or that TV show they've been watching, that that fake reality, right? So I always like to start there. It's like if you had to look into a crystal ball and your life could be the way you want it, what would it look like, right? And that's where I always start. That's the goal. So if we can get them to where it is that they want to be, Right. But do you ever find that even with them setting their own goal, looking at their own vision, because I do find that sometimes with my clients, even though it comes from them, because it never comes from me, I just extract the words from them. The words are Mm -hmm. always there. I imagine it's the same with you. Like you say, it's their vision. You know, it's what they think their life, it's what they think they want their life to be. But even with it being theirs, do any of them ever think, I know it's mine, I know I can get it, but... They shrink back. Well, yes, they're going to shrink back because they have this vision. And if they could get there, they would be there. Yes. Right? If they could get there, they would already be there. So there is something that's holding them back. So what we look at or what I look at, right, is what's holding them back. Mm. And can you always get past that thing that's holding them back? Not always, right? It's my job to hold their hand through it. And if they can't get through it by using different strategies, then we have to have a heart to heart and say, it goes really back to, and I have a client right now, I'll tell you again, is that we take three steps forward and then one step back, right? And why is that one step back? is because the fear of not having what she needs to get rid of in her life is bigger than having that full happiness. Mm. So what we do sometimes is you, let's put this on hold for just a minute and let's talk about something else. So she has a significant other relationship issue and she has relationship with her children issue. And we go back to the progress we're making with the children when the relationship issue is at a standstill. Because you want to continue to show progress, right? So you've seen the progress with the children, right? You can make the same progress if you are willing to do what it takes, right? You got to feel it. You got to see it. You got to touch it. And you got to be willing to lose it. Yes. (gasps) You got to be willing to lose it. Mm. Because sometimes the answer is to dump it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, well, I hope very that answered your question. You did. <laughs> yes, I, wanted, you did. I wanted to ask that question, and, and I'm so glad that you answered it the way you did, because I really wanted to give our listeners a real insight 
into how you work and how deep you're prepared to go, but to also let them know that happiness is their responsibility because there's only so far that any of us as practitioners and coaches and mentors can go. It's always our ultimate responsibility what we achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Marsha, it's been such another fantastic session in the (laughs) Entrepreneur Sushi Club. They are always so enlightening. You always learn so much, so much in them. I want to share, you know, I'd love to share with your audience. One of the documents that I love to use is called my mood temperature cheat sheet. And I'd love to give that to all your listeners because what it shows is it kind of goes through awareness, right? Awareness is like the biggest thing that you can really work on is understanding where you're at, what triggers you to kind of slip into that bad mood or that lack of patience, right? And then I look at it like a traffic light, right? We have green, you gotta go. You're doing everything right. You're hitting every light, you're going, right? And you start to see that sometimes you teeter and we go into the yellow zone, right? Proceed with caution. There's some things that you can do to get yourself back in the green zone. And then there is the red, right? Stop, drop, and roll. We talked about that sometimes. I can't get you any further. You need to check out from life, get some professional help. And it just kind of guides you through and helps you understand where you're at and how you can implement some daily routines to keep yourself, putting yourself first and staying in the green zone. So they can get that at mymoodzone.com. They can download that sheet. So yeah, so this has just been an absolute pleasure spending my Tuesday morning with you and now I can't decide, do I go back to bed or do I go to work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll make sure that we put that link in our episode yeah. notes as well. Great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up, Marsha, besides the perfect gift, the mood indicator cheat sheet, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? If they take just one thing out of our conversation together, what would you ideally want it to be? Happiness is what you make it and find the little bit of happiness or the greatest amount of happiness that you are today and know that you can build on that, that happiness isn't like utopia. Happiness is just your state of how you are seen and how you walk through this world and you can be happy. Yeah. I love that. Marsha, again, thank you for being with us and sharing all of your wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you. Thank you. And thank for you. those of you that are... honor is all mine. Oh, thank you so much. And for those of you listening, thank you for listening to another episode of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. And we would just love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from the conversation with Marsha. Do take a moment and share this with us in our Facebook group, the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. You will find the link in the description with this episode. And if you know anyone who will benefit from listening to this episode, please do share it with them. For now, have fun and see you on another one. See you next time.